Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Bill, how's it going? Just fine, Eric. How are you? Fine, thank you. It's It's been some kind of week. You know, we were in the podcast studio here a, just a week ago, and um, we were talking about credit where credit is due and we're and actually we're, we're talking about donald trump in that context um things have changed yeah i think i just come back from maybe commenting on television on uh, president trump's speech in warsaw which i thought was quite good more reaganite than not touches of a couple of you know little excessive nationalism you might say that i, I thought were unnecessary but basically 85 90 percent what i thought uh, it was appropriate for an american president to say and i i wanted to give donald trump credit for that and uh, as, as you say credit where credit is due then he had the meeting with president putin which I think maybe was going on as we were speaking here in the uh, podcast studio. Two very important meetings going on, thousands of miles <laughs> apart. And um, are, are you going to be Putin or am yeah, I? Yeah, that's be well. Putin? You know, we'll leave that to our listeners to to, to decide. And uh, I don't think we had the readout on that yet. And things did start to go downhill there. I thought Steve Hayes wrote a terrific piece for us over the weekend. Uh, well, that Friday night, actually, uh, after Secretary of State's Tillerson readout of that meeting, the extent to which the president seemed to be credulous about. Uh, a couple of President Putin's claims and um, and generally sort of didn't, I don't know. Tillerson, which was our own side's readout, did not reassure one that it had been a very good meeting. We have a terrific piece in the magazine this week by Eric Edelman, the uh, number three person in the Defense Department under uh, Don Rumsfeld and then Bob Gates in the second George W. Bush term about how this really can be dangerous if, if, a, if a Russian president takes your, thinks he's taking your measure and thinks he can sort of push you around or basically uh, uh, get you to credulously believe uh, whatever he says, that, that that can be lead to miscalculations. And famously, the not not quite, uh, you know, as, as Eric says, it's none of these analogies is perfect, but the Khrushchev-Kennedy meeting in Vienna in 61 really went disastrously for Kennedy. And uh, Khrushchev thought he could really, this was a young rookie president who wasn't prepared and didn't seem good at standing up to Khrushchev. And Khrushchev thought he could get away with things. And we had the Berlin Wall. And then we had the more dangerously even the Cuban Missile Crisis. So what's interesting that uh, Eric Edelman points out in that piece, though, is that JFK had the smarts to know he had been spanked by Khrushchev and to to act accordingly to change his his posture. Yes, and and that you know we then recovered from that I guess you'd say and uh, even so it, it encouraged Khrushchev to do some rash things. Now maybe Putin will be more cautious. Let's hope, and maybe others have kind of uh, uh, Trump went so far on Sunday morning I guess it was to tweet that you know he he was fine with setting up a working group on cybersecurity with Putin, something that I imagine Putin or Lavrov proposed as kind of almost a joke, you know, a kind of a nasty joke, kind of rubbing our face in the fact that they succeeded in doing all this hacking and so forth, hadn't paid much of a price for it. And Trump sort of says, yeah, that's a good idea. Then they walked that back Sunday night. So maybe Putin would have decided that the the system here was constraining Trump and that McMaster and Mattis and others were were, uh, not going to let him push us around. And I hope that's the case. But then over the weekend, we got that the beginning of a cascade of stories about the uh, meeting of Donald Trump Jr. with Russian, I don't know, lawyers, and now it's two of them he met with. And first, you know, the first there was rumors of a meeting, and oh, it's just about adoption. Then okay, it was a meeting about Hillary Clinton. Then it was a meeting which they were told that she was a Russian government lawyer, which may not actually be, but that's what the way it was presented, and someone who wanted to help. Uh, 
participate in the Russians helping Donald Trump win the presidency. So each day got worse. The Trump defenses each day were sort of overtaken by events. Um, it's a pretty, it was a pretty rough week, I think, in that respect for President Trump and his defenders. And I just think people are still not analyzing, I mean, uh, people, but some people, there's still too much of a tendency to look at these things and say, okay, well, that, that's kind of problematic, this meeting. On the other hand, it's not the end of the world, and maybe it went nowhere. And so we just, you know, uh, foolish, the rookie mistake, credulous, but nothing fundamental. That would be true, I think, if that were the whole story. But the one thing we should have learned, and I think especially, honestly, Trump defenders should learn at this point, is there's more to come, or there may be more to come. We certainly don't know what's to come. Let's put it that way. If there was one meeting, there could have been three meetings. There could have been 10 meetings. There could have been 10 random disconnected meetings, incidentally, which all didn't amount to anything. But the idea that we now know everything about the extent or possible extent of possible collusion or compromising uh, with or of Donald Trump or the Trump campaign, I think that's the most foolish position to take. So I think everyone needs to be just, we'll see what happens. Uh, Robert Mueller will find out what happened. Uh, we can, Republicans can complain that, you know, there's more scrutiny of Republicans than Democrats. And what about Hillary Clinton and all that? But you know what? There's one president and there's a special counsel and he's investigating this. And um, I think it's, it doesn't look good in the sense that the Trump team doesn't seem to have its act together. The Trump team itself probably doesn't know everything that happened. A lot of it, again, could be sort of random, unseemly, but not fundamentally illegal or terrible things. But uh, we just don't know. And that's what strikes me. That's, we do not, we have, we're six months into a presidency with a special counsel. That's pretty unusual, doing a serious investigation. And we don't know how far this is going to go or how serious this is going to be. One thing that's clear is that as some of the players, uh, whether it's Don Jr., Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, are going to be testifying in front of uh, Hill committees and almost certainly before the FBI and Mueller's investigation, anytime you have to go over the same territory under oath multiple times, even the most careful and and honest uh, respondent gets at risk of getting the story mixed up. Right. And I think it's not as if President Trump and his family, at least, have are terribly careful sometimes about what they say and or about the truth. Maybe others will be, and maybe they'll get good lawyers who will say, look, you've got to be careful and t- tell the truth. And if you don't remember, say something, say you're not sure and don't remember. And But we'll, we will uh, we will see. I, I think it's um, it's worrisome, honestly. And, and uh, yeah, you'll have multiple uh, testimonies. I think the FBI investigation ends up being the real, the Mueller investigation, the special counsel investigation ends up being by far the most important. I mean, either he will find... Uh, criminal activity or not. Either he'll find it goes right into the White House or not. Either he will recommend to Congress that they do something or they consider doing something. I think that's how it works. You refer to Congress for action, if as Ken Starr did with Clinton, or not. And those are all things that will happen in the next six or 12 months. So, you know, in a certain way, all the speculation is going to be overtaken because either, you know, either Trump – and the good news for Trump is if Mueller finds at the end of the day whatever Michael Flynn or Donald Trump Jr. might have done, that there's not a fundamental reason to consider something like impeachment against Donald Trump, you know, criminal charges. That, in a way, does give Trump a clean bill of health. But again, they've been so reckless. So if we think of it this way. They had a camp- basically, they had a potential campaign scandal. Who knows if it's even a real scandal? But let's just say a campaign, a problem in what had happened in the campaign. And instead of – and it could have stayed that way. And two things happened. Jared Kushner decided he wanted to be in the White House. 
or Donald Trump decided he wanted Jared Kushner and his daughter Ivanka Trump in the White House. That turns, you know, things that happened in a camp, if they stayed in New York, it'd be all about, boy, that campaign was kind of a chaotic and they had some meetings they shouldn't have had, but there's no White House connection, right? And then the second thing that happened was the firing of Comey, of FBI Director James Comey, which apparently Kushner uh, um, advocated. If he hadn't done that and it just said, I don't like James Comey, I hate the fact that he's investigating me, at the end of the day, there's not really anything there that I can invent anything. I'm just going to leave him alone, you know? And if if a couple of guys who were in my campaign get uh, halt before grand juries, I mean, so be it. Life is tough. But the firing of Comey also made it a White House issue. So if you think about that, the firing of Comey, the bringing of Kushner into the White House, those two things turned a possible campaign scandal into a White House scandal, a possible White House scandal. Well, and the White House, as you tweeted, um, appears to have been involved in trying to deal with what was otherwise a campaign scandal by coming up with the initial phony baloney story for what this meeting was about between Don Jr. and Natalia Vasilnitskaya. That's good that you can do it. I, I just keep saying the Russian lawyer. Because <laughs> the, uh, no, that's absolutely right. And that is, of course, indicative that they're not even thinking in the way, fairly or unfairly, you need to think if you're under this kind of investigation. Donald Trump Jr. had a meeting. Uh, Manafort was there. Kushner was there. The one thing if there's questions about it, if Donald Trump Jr. has to make a statement because there's a New York Times article, the one thing everyone would learn is Donald Trump Jr. and his lawyer should make a statement. You do not want the White House chief of staff and the White House communications director, whoever it was, who they said uh, they haven't denied, that Trump staff uh, and the uh, on Air Force One and in communication with the White House worked on the Donald Trump Jr. statement. And then apparently President Trump signed off on it. That just makes, again, that draws it all into the White House. Now they're all can be uh, interrogated by Mueller. Well, how did you know? Why were you were you misled as to whether it was fundamentally a meeting about sanctions? Who told you that? Uh, why did you think? Or were you or were you misleading other people? Could we see the email where you were told? You know what I mean? They've opened up a huge number of avenues, not huge, but some numbers of some some uh, some some avenues of investigation right into the core of the White House, and that's the one thing you don't want to do, right? So that's a, that's another example of, in a way, that's a very that's the, the best example of what I was talking about. They still haven't understood how important it is to control, to contain this kind of thing. And they've got the president of the United States personally involved in shaping an answer, which, or at least signing off on it, which now we're going to get, of course, all those questions, right? Well, did the president not know? The president's lawyers not know? Did McGahn, the White House counsel, not know? Did the president's uh, personal uh, outside lawyer... Uh, not know what it, about the emails yet. I think there's a story just today breaking that maybe, uh, at least there may have been that Jared Kushner's lawyers did tell the president's lawyers. So did he sign off on a false statement? Is that part of a broader effort, therefore, to obstruct justice? Obviously, it's not an impeachable offense to put out a misleading press release, but it just invites an investigation in a way that was totally unnecessary. And it makes it, you're in a position as president with your family around you of having the extra difficulty of trying to distance yourself from your family, which is, I think, part of what Gary Kasparov talks about in the Weekly Standard this week, where he talks about nepotism being not just inefficient, but bringing with it a host of other problems. Yeah, that was a very very good short piece by the great former uh, chess champion and, and Russian dissident and really a shrewd, I've gotten to know him, a shrewd analyst of world politics and of Putin's dictatorship, 
uh, and American politics, it turns out. For, I guess he's a very smart guy, so one of the greatest, the greatest chess player of all time. So when he came to America, he picked it up very quickly. But that's one of the very shrewd points he makes. I mean, again, look, presidents have had brothers and kids and relatives who went off the reservation, who did questionable things, who even have had criminal investigations. But the one thing everyone learned is, uh, you know, I'm, I, I love him. I love my family member. Uh, I'm sure he didn't, wouldn't have done anything wrong. But you know what? That's a private matter between him and, you know, you deal with him and his lawyer. The White House is staying out of that. Even when you have investigations into people in the White House, usually it's very much cabined off. You know what I mean? So that no one else can get in trouble for sort of, why did you say this? How did you know that? That you, 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 you said this? And They've just done the opposite. They've sucked everything right into the Oval Office. And now they're all susceptible to interviews and, and, and depositions and requests for emails and texts and phone records in, in, you know, in the White House. Now, maybe they'll say they, they're not going to provide those, executive privilege, but that just opens up a whole bunch of other, of other uh, problems. So it is, in a way, think of Watergate. I mean, there was a campaign, basically, crime. I mean, they mostly campaign, partly campaign related, at least the actual Watergate break-in was to the DNC, the Democratic National Committee headquarters, part of the Nixon's re-election effort, right? Creep, the committee to re-elect the president was kind of the, you know, the, the center of it. The most brilliant acronym of all time. But so. what makes it, what made it a scandal that ended up bringing down a president, that it turns out the meetings to maybe authorize the burglary were in the White House or with the president himself. But then equally as much, the meetings to how to, of how to handle it were not sloughed off onto, you know what, you'll have to ask the campaign or the people who are handling the lawyers who are handling the after effects of the campaign. It was, let's have a White House meeting with H.R. Haldeman and John Dean to figure out how to handle this. Now, maybe they had no choice because Nixon was so involved from the beginning. It may turn out to be comparable here. But it may turn out that Donald Trump, President Trump, really didn't have that much to do with it, but is now, unfortunately for him, I think, sort of injected himself into something where he could have kept an arm's length distance. So you have a White House that is roiling with with all of these um, problems, and yet the political issues still go on. There's health care, there's tax reform, there's uh, matters of statecraft, like figuring out what to do with the Iran deal. Right. Um, how does this White House deal with those issues when, one, it's distracted by all of the investigations going on and how to respond to those. And two, um, it would seem that when you're under this kind of investigation, your political capital, it doesn't count for very much on the Hill. I, look, it doesn't help to have this investigation going on and the distraction and, and, you say, and the erosion to some degree of political capital. On the other hand, you know, Clinton had a pretty effective 1998, or at least not a terrible one, while he was under investigation and ended up being impeached um, uh, by a Congress controlled by the other party. So Nixon did things in 1973 and four, and you know it turns out when you read about it later, it was kind of chaotic internally, but he did very important things in foreign policy, uh, helping Israel in the Yom Kippur War. So uh, you could do you can do things, but again, it requires a kind of discipline. It requires people not getting in the middle of writing statements for Don Tr Donald Trump Jr. when there's a New York Times article and saying, you know what, that's that's for Mr. Trump's attorneys, and we're busy here working on health care and other things. They have a chance to get health care through, it looks like, next week. Very iffy, I'd say, but outside shot. I don't know how good a bill it is. I don't know if it'll work terribly well. But, you know, at this point, probably any victory is better than not having Although one. Although if it happens, will there be any reason to think it happened because— Donald Trump's White House had a vision and uh, and shepherded that vision through the the process. No, but still winning is you know he will take credit for the victory and 
insofar as he is a Republican president and people will make, be making judgments about a Republican Congress, even though the bill is very unpopular, and I could make a case that 18 months from now, they'll pay more of a price for passing it than letting it die. Short term, I've got to think there'll be a certain rallying of Republicans that, well, at least they did something. But they're not in good shape. I mean, they're six months in, no legislation to speak of, uh, through one good Supreme Court appointment. Uh, this next legislation, health care, not a great bill. So even if they get it through, I think it's it's more of a averting a disaster than getting a huge check mark on the board. They, they will end up putting a lot of eggs, I suppose, in the tax reform basket as the kind of the big thing they could deliver in the first year, apart from Supreme Court and some other nominations. Um, they still have time to do a ton of other things, of course. I, I just continue to be just mystified by the way in which they sort of have the, seem to all have internalized the notion that if we don't, we got to do health care. Then we're doing tax reform. It's like there are not, you know, 13 different, however many there are, cabinet agencies with a million issues where you can do a lot of bite-sized things, and they're not huge, but you do get credit for them, and they can be useful. There's an opioid crisis. Why don't we have a coordinated, uh, there's probably going to be money for the opioid for treatment in the health care bill, why not simultaneously have a real serious effort, both kind of international in terms of Mexico, but also law enforcement here at home, to bust up all the networks that make the opioid, uh, the delivery of the opioids, of fentanyl and, and so forth from Mexico possible, you know, make it a high-profile thing, bring in some retired general to run it. I mean, some of it will be PR, but a lot of it will be happening anyway, or you'll be working with local police departments and, and the DEA and FBI, but, it'll, you know, it never hurts to have a kind of, you know, a little bit of a White House spotlight on it. And if you handle it well, you get some credit. And incidentally, it's a huge problem. I mean, it really does deserve some intensive uh, effort. It's a law and order type issue, which is good for Trump. It is made worse by having a porous border, good for Trump. And there are probably a bunch of other issues where you could do stuff that's not at the level of reforming the entire healthcare system or the entire tax code of the United States. But there are actual problems out there that uh, cabinet secretaries could take the lead on with some White House blessing and some White House involvement. They just seem to have been – maybe it's because they haven't staffed up yet. Maybe it's just because they, 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 they're thinking only about doing the really big stuff. I, I'm a little mystified that there's not just more happening at the kind of – singles and doubles level. And I think that would help them. I think I think now there's some risk of people just thinking it's just a game. They can't shoot straight. They can't do anything. They can't run their legal defense as well. They can't pass big legislation. Uh, the foreign trips end up being sort of, you know, one, one good day, then one bad day. They really need to, you know, so like a baseball team, you, you don't get out of the hitting slump maybe by, you know, having a 12-run game or something, but at least get some singles and walks and show that you're kind of not simply uh, flailing away at the Bunt plate. if you have to. Yeah, exactly. Really. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the Crystal Clear podcast this week. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, Eric. And thank you for listening. I'm Eric Felton.